Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. When you get big introductions like that, you just have to let it sweep over you as Montgomery's son said in a meeting, Lord Montgomery's son said in a meeting, uh, a school assembly, actually a school's prize giving, and he was given a big introduction. He said, well, it's nice. He said, just treat it like smoke. It's all right as long as you don't breathe it in. (laughs) But thank you. And it's an honor and a privilege to see people like Christian and Caroline grow in the grace of God and uh, to be just in the background seeing the fruit of their labors. Uh, I've been in Christian services on this Sunday, which is in the Christian calendar called Palm Sunday, uh, for a long time like 74 uh, I can't remember the first two or three but I can remember all the rest <laughs> and normally when this, this weekend the last weekend in March when the clocks go on is usually one of the slowest meetings in the church because the people come tired yeah so well done for uh, all being here all being alive and awake and uh, for me to come in and feel a genuine sense, not something hyped up, a genuine sense of the presence of Jesus is great. The pastor didn't have to crank the meeting up. You, you all came to worship. Well done to everybody. Yeah, good. I was with a, a dear friend this week, Jay John, uh, and his wife, Killy, and he's written one or two books for children. He's doing a whole series. He's calling it Theology for Little People. So you can get them on his website. Who's got four to elevens? And you need to... There's the Easter story. We'll go down here. The Easter story. This one is knowing God for little ones. Knowing one for... The rest of you, that's all I've got. (laughs) Uh, I think they're only about four pounds if your church buys... Get together if the church buys a few. It's three pound a book. And then you can buy them. I'll come to that one later. Remind me to come to that one later. Okay, who's had a busy week? Anybody had a busy week? Well, let me tell you, this week of Jesus' life was a busy week. And I want to underline what's already been so brilliantly said about hope being here. Hope is here because this room is filled with people who've discovered hope. Hope is here because of the message we're going to talk about. And hope is here because Christ is in us and he is the hope of the world. Some people have said you can live a certain amount of time without oxygen, numbers of minutes. You can live for some time without love, but you can't live a life without hope. And hope is here. So... I've been given an impossible task, the journey of Jesus to the cross. Well, we won't go any further back than today in his life. So so today is what we call Palm Sunday, yes? So the triumphal entry. So we've got to talk about that at least for a minute or two. Then we have to talk about the feast of the Passover when he ate with his disciples, yes? Yes. Uh, Then we have to talk about him going into Gethsemane and praying the sort of prayer that is amazing where he gets betrayed 
after he gets betrayed. And then we get to the cross. And you'll, you'll come back to that on Friday. And we won't talk about next Sunday's message, only briefly, just to remind ourselves that we're looking back on a historical event And we're not going through any sense of mourning about Jesus dying. We're going through a sense of triumphs that he died for us because he is already alive. Yes? And he's alive forever, by the way. And he turned the tables over in the temple that week. But we'll we'll let that story go because I haven't really got time for that one as well. So so let's start with the, the first one. Hope is here. The journey of Jesus to the cross. Matthew 21. He says, Jesus says, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them. And he will send them, them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats on them and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him. And those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. If we think about this for a moment, let me give you a few headlines. Because seriously, if we're going to talk about all those things, we can only talk about them briefly. Jesus purposely offers himself as the Messiah. He goes along with what the people are saying about him, which was all messianic language, the son of David. And he did this knowing that this would provoke the Jewish leaders to take action against him and would lead to his death. He'd been warning his disciples that this day would come and now this momentous week of his life begins. How do I stand back and summarize what happens in this story? I would say these few things. Number one, when Jesus comes like this, people hear about it. That's why we're here today. Number two, when Jesus comes into any situation, prophecy will be fulfilled. It will be in our lives. For many of us, it already has been, and it will be yet again. Number three, when Jesus comes, in the glory of who he is, there will be resources made available. Tell them the Lord needs it. So this church need have no fear that resources won't be available for the work of the kingdom. Because where Jesus is, resources are made available. The fourth thing I'd say to you about it is, when Jesus comes like this, 
there will always be praise. People will praise him because he's worthy of all our praise. The fifth thing I'd say to you is when Jesus comes like this and people get to the excitement of him being around, other people want to know who he is. A friend of mine felt very prompted to speak to a very, very wealthy man who is extremely well known in this country. That's enough. I can't say any more than that. He tried to see him several times and he just pushed him away, pushed him away, pushed him away. And then one day he said, come and see me. And cutting to the quick, he said, uh, you're a busy person. I've just come to tell you about Jesus. He said, well, you're going to have a hard job. I don't believe in him. I'm an atheist. I don't want to know. So make a start. After a few minutes, he got on the phone and said to his wife, who was upstairs, you better come down, whatever you're doing right now. And after an hour, my friend was wise enough to say, well, thank you for listening. He said, we need to carry this conversation on. You need to come for dinner. And then he asked him, could he pray for him? And he prayed a silent prayer. And Jesus showed up. And the story's not yet finished. Hey? When Jesus comes, people want to know who he is. And finally, we didn't read that part, but at the end of the story, Jesus weeps. And he, he says that people didn't realize the moment of God's visitation. So missing the moment is dangerous. When Jesus comes into our lives, we need to capture the moment for all of those reasons. So Jesus has triggered something now. They've had this amazing celebration just outside the city of Jerusalem. And the clock begins to tick towards his death. Then we have the story of the Passover. How do I talk to you about the Passover? Because Jesus kept the Passover. This is hope being here because Jesus is on his way to the cross. That's what we're talking about. The best way I can talk to you about what Jesus was celebrating is to tell you the story that I was told when I was a boy. My father had two sons and I'm the oldest. So this story was very real to me. And he told it as though the story was for me when I was taught it as a kid in Belfast in Northern Ireland. That in Egypt, the land of Egypt, the children of Israel, the Israelites as we call them, the Israelis as we call them today, had had 400 plus years of horrible persecution and life got tougher and tougher and then God said he would deliver them. And there was a series of amazing miracles. And the Pharaoh, who would be like the, the leader of the most powerful nation in our world today, because Egypt was a very strong power, the leader wouldn't let them go. And God told the Israelis' leader, Moses, I'm going to do one more thing, and that'll be it. And so what's the story? So the story goes 
that the children of Israel had to prepare a lamb that they'd kept for a couple of weeks to make sure it had no blemishes on it. And they were given very specific instructions that at evening time they had to sacrifice this lamb and put the blood on the door and the lintels of their houses. And then everybody was to go inside. And they were to eat the rest of the lamb. So that's what they were told. Because God had promised through Moses that the angel of death was going to visit the land of Egypt. And every firstborn human being, male and animal, boom. So I'm the firstborn. Yeah, I'm the firstborn. You got it? So I'm in the house and... My father's been telling me this story, not my natural father, it was a story told to me. And I'm in the picture, so the evening's coming, we've killed the lamb, and I say to my father, is, is this important about this blood? Can we just go and look? No, 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 we can't go outside anymore, son. God said, we've got to stay inside under the cover of the blood. Are you, are you sure you've put it on the door? Because if you haven't, I'm going to die tonight. This is not a story about somebody else. This is a story that's about my existence. So I'm concentrating here. So we're inside and everybody's busy eating the lamb. And if you had neighbors who couldn't afford them, so you had to bring them in. And you had to eat everything. And there'd be a certain sense of joy about it because they, they knew what festivals was about. But all the time I'm going, I hope this is going to work. And the night wears on and we go through the celebration. And then at midnight, there's cries throughout the land, screaming and crying. I'm still here. And the morning light comes and all over the land, there's death and chaos and destruction and in every family where the lamb had been slain there was order and beauty and peace and Jesus was remembering this as God had told them to do for thousands of years yes year by year a special time of the year they had to go through the remembrance of this ceremony and then Jesus in the middle of it He says, modern language, it's over. What I'm doing this week is about me being the Lamb of God that John had promised three and a half years before would take away not the death penalty over the firstborn, but the sins of the world. As Christian said earlier, whatever label's been put on any of us, my wife's been talking to me about labels this week. She hates the idea of people being given labels. Particularly young children in educational structures, it's horrible. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has taken it all away. He said, this is my body. It is broken for you. This is my blood. 
it is poured out for you. And every time we have what we call in our services communion or Eucharist or the celebration of death, Jesus' death, this is what we're remembering, that what he did for that unique group of people and saved the lives of a few, he has done in coming into this world for everyone. Wow. It is a while. Then the week un- unfolds. And they go to Gethsemane. And he says to the disciples. Just stay awake and pray with me. The Bible says he felt very heavy. The burden of your sin. And my sin. If we don't like the word sin. Don't get hung up about it. It's everybody's problem. It's not just some unique groups who the world wants to call sinners. It's everybody. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he felt the weight of your sin and my sin coming on his shoulders. He goes to pray. And the disciples are so tired naturally and spiritually that they fall asleep. It's a bit of a sad and perplexing moment for Jesus. He's beginning to feel very alone. He'll feel more alone in a little while. How does this prayer go? For those of us who are Christians here in this room, let me encourage you to, uh, to understand the dynamic of how Christ dealt with this crisis moment in his life. Because if we learn from him, we'll learn a massive lesson. There were four things that happened here that we need to remember. Number one, he started this conversation with God on the basis of a relationship. Abba, Father. Daddy in heaven. We need to learn however we pray, however we bring ourselves to God. We do it on a basis basis of a relationship with him. A father God who loves us. Yes? The second thing Jesus does in this story is he makes a confession. He says, you can do anything. Whenever, is everybody listening? The next time you pray, think about this. Before you bring whatever anxiety it is to you, to God. Dorothy and my wife and I, we pray about numbers of things most mornings. And some of them we've prayed about for some time, about our family, about the sickness in friends, about the state of our tired and troubled world. When you are going to come and bring something to God, come with an understanding of your relationship with him and with a confession that you cannot ask him for anything that is beyond his power to do. Because everything is possible to him. Nothing is impossible to him. And we need to maintain our confession even in the face of moments of difficulty. Like that woman in the Old Testament whose dream was dead on the bed at home and hope was gone for her. And she's asked the question, is everything all right? Is is your husband all right? Is your son all right? Are you all right? Well, of course, everything wasn't all right. But her confession at that moment was, everything is all right. And hello, it all turned out all right. There's one great Christian divine said some years ago, everything is all right and all manner of things are all right. Yeah. 
The third thing we need to grasp as we come to God in prayer is that God is quite happy for us to let it all spill out. Don't pray the prayer that you think God wants to hear. Did you hear me? Don't try and be religious, pious, clever. Pray the sort of prayer that Jesus prayed. He says, God, this is horrible. If there's any way around this, without missing the point, if if there's any way you can take this away, please take it away. That's all right. Just read through the Psalms. The Psalms are wonderful for normal human beings like me. Moments of exhilaration when we feel great, we go, God, you are fantastic. And moments when our enemies are all crawling over, we say, God, I'd love to smash him in the teeth. (laughs) And God doesn't go, you shouldn't say things like that, because he knows you're thinking it anyway. (laughs) And the truth is, God knows all of us are worse than we think we are. And he still loves us. So you you can't do anything to make him love you any more. And you can't do anything to make him love you any less. Wow. So make your prayers real. Dear God, this is horrible. I don't like it. Take it away if you can. But then don't keep banging on about it. Because he might just close the road that you wanted to go on. Because he wants you to go on a road that he wants you to go on. So I was preaching over in Staffordshire just a few weeks ago and spoke to a, a beautiful young family. They were South Africans and this man had a great job in a big company there doing uh, um, accountancy and he was made redundant and it just freaked him out a bit. What, what's, what's going on? You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love God. He's supposed to be looking after me. And, and then he said to me, but then I was headhunted by this big company that's in Staffordshire. If I mention the name, you'd all know it. it begins with a J. It's headhunted. And I've been given this wonderful job. And I'm traveling around the world. And I've got a lovely home. And I've come to this town. And I believe God has brought me here to be a support to this, what was a little tired church that has now grown and is exploding and expanding. And you go, you see, the road you wanted to go on, God wanted you on another one. So sometimes his closed no stop is for us to stop and say like Jesus did the fourth level surrender nevertheless not what I want but what you want let me tell you if you pray a prayer like that the promise of Paul in Romans chapter 8 that I've been teaching the young uh, academy and teen challenge this week will be like this the mind the thoughts controlled by the spirit of God will be life, which is Zoe, is the Greek word. One of the meanings being life as God has it in himself. And peace, shalom, which means in that context, harmonious relationships with God, yourself, and everybody else. If you come to God as Father, if you bring a a confession of his greatness, if you spill the beans with everything you feel about, and then say, but not what I want, God, but what you want in absolute surrender to his will. Your thoughts will be controlled by or guided by the Spirit. And you will live a life, life as God has it in himself. And harmonious relationships with God, yourself, and everybody else. Woof! 
Now there's a, there's a message worth believing. He goes back to his disciples. They're asleep. He's sweating drops of blood. The pain of what is coming upon him is overwhelming him. Sleep on now, he said. My betrayers are coming. And Judas comes and kisses him. And they lead him away. It's a fiction. It's a bunch of lies. They say all manner of things against him. It's unrighteous. They smack two and a half inch nails in a crown and smash it on his head. That hurt. They lashed him. And the Bible's very, very, very gracious. It could make a lot of the suffering of Jesus. As some films have tried to do. But it minimizes it. But we need not forget. It was a bloody awful mess. All the flesh was ripped off him. His muscles would have gone. The blood would have poured out of his body. And then he was invited to carry his cross to the place of crucifixion. And how do I summarize this? It was an awful place. The soldiers there, tough, hard men. There were loving women in the background who'd been his support, who were probably gently weeping at his pain. But these tough guys couldn't give a rip. They'd seen it all before. They probably crucified people yesterday. They're gambling. They're swearing. They're deciding what they're going to do with these clothes. People are saying vile and horrible things. So how do we look at it? I suggest we do this. In one of the Gospels it says that these tough men who were killing people regularly by crucifixion, it says once they crucified him and put the sign, boom, 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 this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, in the three main languages of the world. Because God wanted everybody to know who he is. Which is why in Iran, as I'm told, I haven't looked at the figures myself, as I'm told, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Because this one is the king of the Jews. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So these tough guys, it's all going on. And it says they sat down. And they watched him. How long is this going to take? Because it sometimes took a long time. Because what happened with most people who were crucified is that they died ultimately of asphyxiation. Because as the body hung down, they would put a support for their feet just to hold a bit of their weight, but there's no strength left in the, in the legs. And it's only as the legs push up against the crucified arms which for Christ were nails often were ropes as the legs pushed up you could get enough movement to get breath into your lungs and then as your strength ebbed away you, you couldn't get any breath which was why they would break their legs to hasten death so that they would stop being able to push themselves up there's two guys being crucified with him who were bandits in the natural order of things 
in the criminal system of the day, they were getting what they deserved. Shouting and railing at Jesus, and then one of them, remember me? My grandson's coming home from Warhorse that we watched yesterday afternoon in the concert hall. asking me, what about murderers and what about this and that? And people who've done awful things. What's going to happen with them? We're having a bit of a laugh about purgatory because they go to a Catholic school. and uh, You know, the kids there get taught a bit about purgatory. And we got things straight about that. <laughs> the, big, the big one had already got it straight and he, he, he had it sorted out straight away. The truth is whatever label's been put on you. We deserve to be here, he said. Lord Jesus, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. We're still watching, by the way. This is all going on. At this point, probably the centurion said to the others, this doesn't seem normal. This isn't like the early ones this week. What is it about this? Then Jesus starts making statements. J. John's written a nice little book about the seven statements. This is number six. It is finished. Wrapped up in that little word that we translate as finished our ideas of fulfillment, accomplishment, and achievement. It is a word not of despair, but of triumph. The sort of word that you might gasp when you cross the finishing line of a marathon. Who'd like to read those things? There we are, sir. It's finished. Interesting for those of you who are theologians. Jesus said this before he died. He'd accomplished the work. It was all done. And when he cried, it is finished. And handed his spirit over to God. Who, by the way, in one of his earlier statements... He'd expressed what we talked about just a few minutes ago is absolute pain. God, Father, why have you forsaken me as well? And for the first time in eternity, now if you think you understand that sentence I've just said, you're kidding yourself. <coughs> because anybody who's got a God that they can comprehend is finite, and God is infinite. For the first time in forever, Jesus has no relationship with his Father. For you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me. What? And 50% of the people in this country don't even know who he is. And Easter, as some lady asked a friend of mine, having a meal that they'd met at the school gate. I get Christmas a bit, but what's Easter? This is what it's about. God coming and dealing with our sin. And his head slumped and he was gone. These soldiers go, he's dead. He's dead. Nobody died like that. 
sword in. Amazing story in itself. The blood pours out. Boom! The curtain in the temple, the thickness of a man's hand, rips from the top to the bottom, four inches thick, shung without a human hand. The earth shakes. The sky goes dark. As the God of creation says, do you all not understand what's going on here? Dead people are walking about in the city. What, what is going on? And the gnarled old centurion. Lads, this definitely is different than anything we've ever seen before. And the Bible quotes his final conclusion. Surely, surely this man is the Son of God. So, there might be some lovely women in the room, and I'm not being sexist, who are on the edges of the crowd who deeply love him, and you weep at the whole idea of his pain. And there might be some blokes, there's a row of blokes there, and there's a few more blokes immediately there, and there's a bloke here, and there's some blokes here, and there's blokes all over the room. And we might go, and I'm a bit of a weeper, but let me tell you, I'm no soft touch. Because I'm a bloke too. And maybe some of you who've come in here today, you're a bit like the centurion, you've seen it all before. Let me tell you, you've not seen anything like this before. And if you'll be wise enough, like the centurion and I deliberately sat down to sit and watch it maybe if you don't know how to get it in the Bible you help get somebody to help you go through the bits of it come to the Good Friday service for the reflections of it talk to people if you don't understand what the story's about and sit down and watch and God's Holy Spirit will help you understand that this person is your saviour and will bring you hope. What a week. What a week. What lessons we have to learn I wrote this some years ago about an Easter perspective in a little book called A Verse to Live By. If it's spring, then it's also Easter. The enemies of Christ say that we Christians need Easter, and we agree. But they need it too. They may also say that we believe in the resurrection and the death and everything about it because we want it to be true. But beyond our needs and wants lie the blatant facts of history which state that a unique person called Jesus lived, died on a cross and on the third day came back to life again. These are facts that were witnessed by a multitude of unbelieving friends and enemies for many centuries. Millions, in fact, billions, have found new hope, romance, fresh dreams through knowing the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Their hope is my hope, and it can be yours today.
For Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Now for those of you as believers who understand what I've been talking about but haven't grasped the wider significance, let me say this. What happens in this week as we celebrate it and at the cross, hope is here, Jesus on the journey to the cross is the fulfillment of the heart of Almighty God, who is the God of creation, who gives us a sense of identity, that this modern, secular, atheistic world is robbing us of. But we're created by God in His image. He's a God of covenants in the Bible, not a God of rights and all that's mine, but of covenants and responsibilities, who takes responsibility Himself for His own promises which brings him to the cross in his saving love through his son Jesus that then gives meaning to what we're about as the church now and will bring about the fullness when God makes a new heaven and a new earth where in dwells righteousness. So the cross is not just, it is absolutely the point of my salvation. But it is actually... God Almighty bringing into perspective his eternal plan that went wrong because of sin and will be brought right back into the position it should be. And if that doesn't bring you hope, there's nothing in this world that will. I invite you to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer without words. As my friend did with that very wealthy man a little while ago. I invite you in this moment of silent prayer to open your heart to God. response prayer from me father in heaven thank you for revealing yourself as the one who loves us so much that you died for us and for people in this room who in this moment are grasping that as they have never done before help them make that journey to commit their lives to you and for those of us that you've reminded us May the warmth of your presence saturate our souls. For those as they've sat in in silence have received something that they can't articulate but it's hope in their brokenness. Hope in their despair. Hope in the unanswered questions of their life. Hope in the things that are all chaotic and wrong. Thank you for giving people in this room hope and thank you for the promise of your word that by your stripes we are healed and the promise you gave that if we preach your word signs and wonders will follow and I thank you for all those in this atmosphere who have received your healing power in Jesus name